Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Um, are all your kids back in school? <laughs> you know, here in LA, um, kids go to start school in like the beginning of August. It's a fucking nightmare. I think it's a national atrocity. But for those of you who have civilized schools, also in LA, like private schools go back after Labor Day, like civilized people. But the LA public school system is like barbaric and makes kids go back to school when it's, you know, 6,000 degrees out. I don't understand it. But anyway, so I feel like a lot of you are in this position and I see this sort of uptick every year when kids go back to school, the summer's over, and now you're starting to get back into your regular life and your regular routine and you're starting to feel like, oh, fuck, I need to face this shit. That is, if you're still trying to decide, you know, whether to stay or go. If you're still in this marriage in whatever capacity and you are and you've kind of been putting it off and you're like, OK, like after the summer, we've got all these summer plans. Let me just get through this. Right. Kids go back to school and then we're like, oh, here we are. Here we still are. Right. There are certain markers throughout the year. Um, and I think go kids going back to school is one of them. So if this is you, uh, you're not alone, first of all. Secondly, I have programs for you. I have my Should I Stay or Should I Go online program, which is amazing and has helped thousands of women make this really difficult decision. It's not just helping you make the decision. It's helping ground yourself in yourself so that the decision you have probably already made at some level of your consciousness, you are able to follow through on and have the confidence to move forward on. That's really what this program does. It really helps you solidify your sense of self, capital S, self. So you really are clear on who you are, what you want, what you need, and how to follow through on it. Um, another option for you is Grit and Grace. That is my group coaching program. And Grit and Grace, I have to say, has more women in it who are already getting divorced um, than women who are on the fence. So that may not be the best place for people who are trying to decide whether to stay or go. I know that some people who have been just trying to decide and then they get into grit and grace and they're like, whoa, everyone here is getting divorced. That feels really weird to me. And I get that. So, but if you're already in the process and you're like, oh my God, this is proving more difficult than I thought. Um, if it's more high conflict than you thought, or you just need support from a group setting of women going through it and get it, grit and grace would probably be really great for you. And then the other option for all of you is private coaching, which I am open for right now. Um, there was a period of time when I wasn't doing it. Um, I'm doing it again. I love it so much. I really do love the relationship I have with my individual clients so very much. We end up getting really, really close and intimate, obviously. And I just, I really value that relationship that I get to build with people. So I do have some spots available for private coaching right now. So all, listen, all of this is on my website, everything, kateanthony.com. KateAnthony.com, if you click on Grit and Grace, you'll get Grit and Grace. If you click on Should I Stay, you'll get my Should I Stay or Should I Go program. If you click on Private Coaching, you'll get Private Coaching. So um, KateAnthony.com is the place for all the things. That brings me to my episode today. 
on the podcast. I have Dr. Amelia Kelly back with me again. You may remember her from the episode that we did on being a highly sensitive person and what it is to be an HSP and how that impacts us. And I was so shocked at how popular that episode was. It was really, really, really popular. Um, I think we all uh, relate. A lot of us are deep empaths. Empaths are very often targeted by abusers. So it's no surprise that all of you uh, really related to that. And so I think you guys are going to really relate to this today as well. Amelia is out with a new book, Gaslighting Recovery for Women, The Complete Guide to Recognizing Manipulation and Achieving Freedom from Emotional Abuse. Hello. So I love this book because it is part information and, uh, you know, giving you understanding. And then it is a lot of workbook. So for those of you who like to like get a book and write in it and write shit out and really get sort of deep with how to heal from gaslighting, um, this book is great. It's colorful. It's it's a workbook. It is a workbook and it will help you heal. Dr. Amelia Kelly, it should be noted, she's an integrative trauma-informed therapist focusing on women's issues, survivors of abuse and relationship trauma, highly sensitive persons, healthy living and adult ADHD. She is an adjunct professor of counseling at Yorkville University and a nationally recognized relationship expert featured on Sirius XM's doctor radio program, The Psychiatry Show. She's been featured in Teen Vogue, Scary Mommy, Yahoo News, Well and Good, and Insider, and also the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. (laughs) She's amazing. She's also my coach. Full disclosure, I love and adore Dr. Amelia Kelly. So here is my conversation with Dr. Amelia Kelly. Dr. Amelia Kelly. One of my favorite people in the world. Thank you so much Hello. for coming back again. Yay. <laughs> and you've written another book. You're like, you're like becoming one of the most prolific authors. <laughs> you're because you're working on two more right now, right? Correct. <laughs> Along with a full and thriving therapy practice and being a wife and mother you're a miracle. We're going to talk about this book, the book that you have just written that's coming out now, Gaslighting Recovery for Women, The Complete Guide to Recognizing Manipulation and Achieving Freedom from Emotional Abuse. So you basically, you wrote this for my audience. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Highly inspired by my audience in my therapy office as well. Isn't that, isn't that sad? Mm. There's just so much of it. So let's start with what is gaslighting? Let's like define it. I mean, we've talked about this before, but let us define it, what it is and what it isn't. Right. So, and I'm glad the what it isn't is so important because it gives, yeah, it gives power to actually using the term when you use it correctly. Uh Uh-huh. So gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse. That is used in order to confuse, throw someone off their reality, make them quest their, question their ego strengths, uh, uh, question yeah. their inner dialogue, um, yeah. and really just essentially confuse what matters to you. Mm-hmm. And it can be done in so many different ways and different spaces. That's something that was very important to me in the book. Mm-hmm. To highlight that while a lot of times we hear this term used in romantic relationships, it can really be present anywhere where power is possible. Yes. So right? you talk a lot. We've talked a lot about like medical gaslighting. Absolutely. Right? Very, especially for women, such a huge problem. Mm-hmm. What are some other places that it shows up? Absolutely in the workplace. Yes. Uh, that's... And there are some studies, and there really should be more, examining things like something as simple as interrupting, how Mm. women are more likely to be interrupted in the workplace, whether it be in a meeting or in even these really robust studies done in Congress. Mm. 
showing that women are interrupted more often and then even in Congress and interrupted more often when they're talking about a bill related to women. (laughs) Yeah. Sit down, little lady. Let me tell you about your body. Now, why is interrupting gaslighting? Because we were going to talk about what it is and what it isn't, right? Right. So it's interrupting itself is not gaslighting, right? So what is the gaslighting in there? So the gaslighting happens when the person responds to their poor behavior. So the interrupting being the poor behavior, being the neglectful, abusive behavior that it can be, and the gaslighting is when you speak up or you express that it wasn't okay or you're frustrated or even even if you're speaking to someone else about it, not even the person who did it to you, if that poor behavior is minimized, if it is trivialized, if it's, well, no, no, you know, it just happens. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's just how it is. Mm-hmm. That's gaslighting because it's making you question whether or not the thing that bothers you should bother you and whether it's even valid to be concerned about when yeah. it is. Right, right. I feel like I've been interrupted. I get interrupted more often. No, you don't. You don't even know what you're talking about. That's like everyone, everyone interrupts. Everyone talks over each other. Like, right. It's the minimization that makes you go, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm hypersensitive. Maybe there's something wrong with me that I feel this way. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So gaslighting. And you know, the other thing that I, I hear all the time is people, like lying is not gaslighting. No. The act of lying is not gaslighting. It is the denying that there was a lie. It mm-hmm. is blame shifting mm-hmm. to make you feel like, you know, you, what's wrong with you that you think I'm lying? You're really suspicious. You mm-hmm. seem really like, why are you, what, what, what happened to you that you're so suspicious all the time? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the gaslighting. Right. I'm I'm glad you brought up lying. That's an interesting nuance to explore because the most important thing when determining if you're being gaslit is looking at the intention behind the behavior. So let's say someone lies because they are deeply insecure or because they are, which can also inspire people to gaslight, or they're trying to protect a poor behavior they've done, or maybe they've done something that could get them into trouble. So they're going to lie to get out of trouble. They're going to lie to keep from upsetting someone. They're going to lie to protect their ego. These are not gaslighting lies. Right. Right. They're more self-protective in nature. When it becomes a gaslighting lie, if you will, um, let's take something that would look so similar so we can really decipher the difference. Unfortunately, and you've probably done episodes about this, but when it comes to addiction, Mm -hmm. it can be a lot of lying. And so if someone is protecting their addiction with lies and their partner or someone who's concerned confronts them, And then they lie to cover it up. That's the lie. But if they then project back and say, you know what? You're just overly suspicious of me. You don't know me. You can't tell what I'm doing. If they start to weaponize your own sense of self, your own sense of reality within the relationship, that is when the lie is shifting away from a simplistic lie to protect oneself into trying to change your sense of reality and it is gaslighting. Yes. Perfect. That's a great, that's a great example. In the start of the book, you list seven um, gaslighting techniques and tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are, so these are tactics that are used by abusers yeah, to gaslight. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is. They're tactics that are used to gaslight. Um, do you want to like run through these? I think they're really interesting uh, examples. Sure. And it is one thing I like about highlighting them as gaslighting tactics is some of these can be tactics used in other ways too. So again, this is why education about gaslighting is so important because it's so 
specific and nuanced that understanding the difference between, for instance, we were just talking about denial, right? Mm -hmm. And lies. Yes. So denial, as we were saying, when it's just getting out of trouble versus denial for gaslighting, they usually that's the beginning. I would say that's kind of the beginning stage of when someone's setting you up to be gaslit. I never did that. I never said that. I never thought that. I never wanted that. Even if they outright did it and you have proof. That right there is a very good example of when someone's just really denying what is right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one would be withholding, Mm -hmm. saying where they will be having an interaction with you. And in order to make you doubt whether or not what you're saying is valid, they'll say things like, you really make no sense, or you talk too fast, or you don't really know how to express yourself. They're withholding your your self-esteem, your sense of self. They're they're acting as if they can't possibly understand you mm. because you are not understandable. Uh, I see. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a different definition of withholding than I usually mm-hmm. see. So that's interesting that they're sort of they are withholding your sense of self mm-hmm. by saying that you're flawed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So yeah. you can't possibly know what you're talking about. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. The okay. next would be trivializing. Yeah. Um, I feel like this one happens a lot to women specifically. Uh-huh. Why are you so needy? Why are you so emotional? Don't be hysterical. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be overdramatic. Why do you have to be so negative? Especially trivializing during certain hormonal shifts. Oh, yes. You mean, oh, you're just on, you're just, you just have your period. That's why you're so, hey, honey, you're, is that you yes. said the month? Mm-hmm. 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 Yes. Yes. Yep. Oof. That, that's mm-hmm. just so sneaky. Um, the next one would be diverting. Uh-huh. So you can't believe everything you see. I wouldn't really believe that because of where you got the information. So mm. to explain this one, think about how polarized some of our world is right now. And I don't know what you're talking about, Amelia. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) So if you consider that you're talking to someone who wants to sustain control over how you feel, Mm -hmm. even if you have viable information, proof, something to back up what you're saying, and not that you even need that. I want to make sure listeners know you don't have to justify everything you say all the time. And if you feel like you have to, you're probably dealing with an emotionally abusive person. Right. Right. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with diverting, they're going to divert away from your expertise and make you feel like what you're saying has no legs to stand on because of where you got your information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, The next one is countering. So saying the countering is where you are making someone's de- someone doubt their own memory mm-hmm. with an argument that really has no justification. So for example, you absolutely cannot remember what happened. You have bad memory. You're, you could even actually, with countering, someone could weaponize neurodivergence. Oh, you have ADHD. You can't, exactly. like, you don't know what mm-hmm. happened. You don't yep. even pay attention that long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So things like that can be used with countering. Yeah. Stereotyping, again, another one that women will be likely to experience. And obviously, there's a whole different conversation that can be had as well about racialized gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Um, Saying things like, you know, no one will believe a woman. If they're just saying it happened, you need proof. What does this sound like? Ugh, it sounds like the cops. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah. the thing about stereotyping that's very dangerous. The mm-hmm. stereotyping form of gaslighting, I think it silences people quite a bit. 100%. 100%, mm-hmm. right? This is what women who are claiming sexual violence or domestic yes. violence of any kind, right? This is what we have. We have to jump through fucking hoops mm-hmm. to prove the abuse. Right. Whereas the abusers like, you know, she's just fucking crazy. Oh, okay, I get it. Right. Mhm. Mm-hmm. She's more right. man. Yep. 
And stereotyping, this form of gaslighting, I think also keeps a lot of um, societal, structural, professional um, systems that have been gaslighting women in place for, for far too long. And then the other one would be deflecting. So this one is a little bit different than some of the others and the fact that it's it's going to come with some history. There, There's going to be, whereas denial straight out of the gate, you can be seeing that form, but deflecting, you may be using history to say something like, you are just always so petty or the famous, why are you bringing this up right when I got home? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I'm constantly trying to work on with my clients is that there is no perfect time to express an emotion. You have a right to do it anytime. Aside from, you know, maybe like a funeral or a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that. Right. <laughs> there might be a couple extraneous circumstances, but. <laughs> oh my God. Hilarious. Yeah. But it is, but right. You can, you get to say, right. So, so in deflecting there, there's, when someone is deflecting, there basically there's no there's no good time. There right. is no good in, in that right. What you're saying is you have a right to do it anytime. What they're saying is you don't have a right to do it ever at all. True. And they're using they're using that myth of the right time mm-hmm. in it, it it's almost a form of projection. Yeah. If you think about it, it overlaps a little bit where we project a narcissist will project onto others or emotional abusers will project onto others, but it's more specified mm-hmm. when done through gaslighting. Right. Yep. 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 I mean, this really, but bo- this book is about how to recover, right? So the, the begin, but the beginning of it is under it's broken down into three parts. I love this book because it's a workbook. You guys, it is a workbook. Um. So part one is understanding it. Understanding mm-hmm. gaslighting, which is what we're talking about. Part two is healing. And part three is thriving, which I just think is great. So you also break down that there are stages mm-hmm. of gaslighting. And I think there are also seven stages. Do you want to go through the stages? Sure. <laughs> so similar. To- it, then we'll move on to the healing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And part of the part of the understanding piece also that I that I do love was getting to share some real life examples mm-hmm. of folks who have experienced these stages and knowing that it's not always obvious. Actually, it's fairly almost always never obvious because that's the whole that's purpose. the whole point. Right. That's mm-hmm. exactly the whole point. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the stages of gaslighting, there's going to first be, no pun intended, setting the stage by starting with little lies and exaggerations. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the gaslighter is towing into the water, seeing what they can get away with. Right. And this is the point where if you understand gaslighting and you start to call it out right when you see it, this is going to be when you become less appealing to the gaslighter. Mm Mm-hmm. And and my hope is that that would then prevent future stages from occurring. Right. So once the groundwork, the little lies, the little exaggerations, what can I get away with start? The next is repetition. Like you, the person who is gaslighting or the organization or entity, they want to do this as often as they can to start to create a new sense of reality for their target. And I mean, if you think about it on a kind of mass level, think about how many times we're spoon fed the same story over and over in media mm-hmm. about something that is not accurate. Right. And the more you hear it, the more likely it becomes, well, could it be true? Right. So without repetition, there's... Was the, there... was the election stolen? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it fucking wasn't. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> So at this point with these repetitive, um, this repetitive stage, this is where in the book I was highlighting that this is where patriarchal systems or destructive cycles have really rooted. Mm. From there, when possible, and I say when possible because it might stop there if it is, say, for instance, a, 
a medical gaslighter, for instance, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. they're going to lie and exaggerate. They're going to repeat their messaging, but they know if they escalate too much more, they could put their license in jeopardy, or they might, um, you know, get reported. For instance, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's the thing with medical gaslighting that I want to point out that sometimes the outcomes of medical gaslighting are so dangerous and so detrimental, but it doesn't have to progress too too far through all the stages for it to be a problem, right? So if you're feeling insecure with your provider, if you're feeling like they're minimizing your feelings, if they're not telling you the truth, they're not letting you look at your records. Oh, hell no. Right. All (laughs) all of it. And then they're just sticking to it. And they're saying, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. That repetition Mm -hmm. stage. Yes. Jump ship immediately if you can. Find someone who has a trusted provider. Um, You have a right to continue looking. So yeah. Right. Just throwing that out there. Now, yes. in stage three, if you are going to confront the gaslighter, at this point, they're going to escalate when mm-hmm. you challenge them. Mm-hmm. They're going to dig their heels in and they're going to yes. make you feel even more crazy. Exactly. Their denial, their stories can be so off the wall and so in. I don't want to say insane. That's a horrible word to use, but... It can feel that way sure. that you almost doubt whether or not your perception could be real. And actually, this example came up in my first book with Kendall Ann, yeah. my, my co-author, yeah. when her abuser had cut her hair and then denied it. Right. It's it's a wild story if, if right. people want to read it. It's just... Right, because you cut my hair. No, I didn't. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? And then you're like, and then, but the thing is the, that you're a normal person and you are approaching this, like, why would anyone lie about doing, well, first of all, why would anyone do such a thing? Exactly. But also why would they then, why would they lie about it? Like, that doesn't make sense because we are thinking from a rational, normal, empathic, non-abusive perspective. Exactly. So it doesn't make sense, right? And that's when it escalates, you start to doubt yourself even more because you're like, well, yeah, that actually doesn't make sense that someone would do that. Right. I want to do something fun. Watch this. Okay. He cut her hair, right? Uh Uh-huh. Denial. I never did that. Withholding. You make absolutely no sense. Trivializing. I think you're being a little emotional. You're tired. Uh, Diverting. Uh, I have no idea why you would think I would do that. Okay, maybe he wouldn't have diverted. (laughs) (laughs) Stereotyping. As a woman, time of the month, maybe you're just being a little bit too sensitive and then deflecting. You know, you always blame me for things I don't do. Right. There it is. Look at that. Boom. Like all of them, almost. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and to to just highlight, it doesn't have to be every single form Uh for it to classify as gaslighting. Right, right. It doesn't, It there isn't a playbook. No. I mean, there is, but it's not, you know, there's no, there's not a script. There's not, right? Like these are, exactly. these are tactics that they use. They don't use every single one of them and they don't no. use them in any particular order. <laughs> no, it was just fun yes. to do that. <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. I think it's totally great. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so let's see. They've they've gone to the point where they've escalated. They're doing things that are really hard to understand and believe. Now they're really going to try to wear you down. And yeah. this is the point where they are working to strip away your identity. Mm-hmm. They want you to be dependent on them, which then brings you to the next stage, which is codependency. So at this point, you start to look to the gaslighter for your sense of reality. And then and this stage between four and five is where a lot of trauma bonding uh-huh. becomes very strong and, and solidifies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so from there, you're getting to this point where the person if they have the wherewithal, if they have the ability to connect with their inner voice, they are going to say, you know what? This is not working for me. Something is not okay. And the only way the gaslighter is going to keep them hooked is to go to stage six, which is to give them false hope. Because without hope, why would you stick around? 
And this brings up the whole sense of a trauma cycle and a, and how with the abuse cycle, the trauma cycle of abuse, you need to have that honeymoon period, that, that sense that maybe you see a glimmer of who they were. Mm-hmm. That's right. In order to keep them there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? That's those, why we stay. Yeah. Because we keep seeing that little nugget. That mm-hmm. little nugget. Oh, no, no, there it is. There it is. There it is. I got, okay, okay, okay. We can have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And the dangerous thing is that if you wait for those moments of false hope, and I have to tell you, most people that I see come through my door for therapy who are not ready to leave are stuck in the stage. Yeah. Right. right. They're they're and and honestly, it's it's whiplash sometimes. They'll come in for a session and they are ready to go. And then they'll come in for the next session and something went well, or they had a good weekend, or there was just, you know, a, we've been getting along this week. Uh-huh. You know, right. that kind of stuff. Right. 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 The bar is becomes so low. Right. Exactly. So yeah. Yep. And then finally. That's when, at that point, that gaslighter has the ability to completely dominate and control because they know they can get away with the abusive behavior in between those glimmers of hope. And they know that you are relying on them for your sense of self, self-esteem, reality. Um, and that's when things like understanding, getting out, learning how to survive and thrive is so important. Right. So... Let me ask you this, because this is, I think, what everyone's thinking right now, Mm -hmm. or a lot of people are thinking right now, which is, you know, I said, like, there's no playbook, right? But yet here Mm -hmm. we are, we're talking through the tactics and the stages. Mm -hmm. Is it deliberate? Do they know that they are doing this? Mm -hmm. I love how I paused because I feel like that's such a hard question to answer, but... Most times it's going to be driven by a deep-seated desire for control uh-huh. and a deep-seated desire not to feel insecure or weak or infallible oneself. Mm-hmm. So if you think of it in a similar way, honestly, to how a narcissist is motivated by their narcissistic behaviors, which there can be non-narcissistic gaslighting which we could talk about as well. Okay. I know that's, that's a mouthful and kind of hard to, kind of hard to conceptualize sometimes, but the desire to control and the willingness to do whatever it takes is purposeful. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Whether or not someone has insight to know that what they are doing actually falls within a playbook is not always the case. Right. Because if you say, like, you're gaslighting me, they're going to be like, what the fuck? No, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they're not... I think that they are willfully... I think I agree with you that they're willfully and knowingly uh, after power and control. Right. They're not They're not there for an e- equal playing field, for love, for, like, anything Anything that is... Yeah. Uh, it it is they want they need power and control they're not there to be vulnerable they're not there to be vulnerable right exactly and so mm-hmm. gaslighting is one of the tactics that they use in order to maintain that power and control and they probably don't know that maybe that they're gaslighting they sure know they're lying right unless right? they're a pathological liar and they start to believe their own lies which is very scary yes and and also very common and now a quick word from our sponsor Whenever I hear about a protective mom struggling to co-parent with an ex whose alcohol misuse endangers the child, I always recommend Soberlink. If you've been listening for a while, you know how much I love Soberlink. For those of you who are new, welcome and listen up. Soberlink is an alcohol monitoring system that is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide concrete proof that they're not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink uses facial recognition, and it's the only alcohol monitoring system that analyzes and approves or declines identity in real time, meaning that you'll be immediately notified if your co-parent attempts to have someone else use the device. Soberlink also has some of the most high-tech tamper-resistant features on the market, which prevents tampering with the device itself or trying to use alternate air sources like a balloon or an air pump. 
So basically, any way someone can think of to cheat the system, Soberlink can catch. If someone tests positive for alcohol, Soberlink requires additional tests to confirm the non-compliant results. If a positive test happens, the system's retest cycle begins, allowing the co-parent to retest every 15 minutes, up to six times. Upon request from their in-house compliance department, a drinking evaluation is delivered to you to confirm the non-compliant result. Soberlink has two programs. There's a parenting time only program, and then there's a daily testing program. Both programs operate using scheduled testing. So for example, a testing schedule might be that you ask the co-parent to test before their parenting time and then during parenting time. And this helps you feel confident that your co-parent is parenting sober. And if there is a positive test result, you can write into your agreement that parenting time will be reevaluated. Soberlink's reports are admissible in court. And in fact, Soberlink is recommended by courts in all 50 states and in Canada. If you have any concerns about your child's safety while with the other parent, there is no better way than Soberlink to put your mind at ease. For an exclusive $50 off of your device and to download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for a High Conflict Divorce, visit www.soberlink.com DSG. And now back to our show. This creates in us, right, a lot of mental health issues because absolutely the design of gaslighting is to make us doubt our own reality. It's to make mm-hmm. us doubt the ex- our completely lived, like empirical evidence, our our experience that is like right before us. It makes us doubt it, mm-hmm. and that fucks you up. It does in so many ways. Clinical terms, right? (laughs) It's my new diagnosis. Uh Uh-huh. You're fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) I know. No, you cannot see your record. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot see your record. You're fucked up. (laughs) Oh, my God. And it causes PTSD, right? And Mm -hmm. and CPS, uh, PTSD. What are some other, you know, ways that it fucks us up? (laughs) Well, you know, when you were saying losing a sense of self, mm-hmm. one of the big things that I think people don't always, we use these terms so interchangeably that I think we forget they're different and it's mm-hmm. self, self-esteem versus self-confidence. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. 100%. And so confidence is, you know, feeling that you are able to try things that are difficult regardless of the outcome. Mm-hmm. That, that's really what it comes down to right. at its core. I love that definition. That's great. Right. Uh-huh. Whereas self-esteem is the knowing that you deserve to be treated well because you are a human. Mm-hmm. That your like, your life as a human, your uh, just by the sake of being, yes, value exactly. Mm-hmm. And when you lose a sense of your inner voice, your inner reality, which then affects your outer reality one of the very first things to suffer is your self-esteem. Uh-huh. And so you can start to question whether you deserve to be treated well mm-hmm. and with respect and with safety. And so you can see how this would directly impact relationships, what you are or are not willing to put up with. For example, we, you know, oftentimes it can be hard to understand why someone struggles to get out of an abuse cycle. But if self esteem, which at the core allows you to understand you deserve not to be abused, is destroyed or it is it is worsened because you were gaslit, where is your base to stand on? Right. That's right. Right. That's Mm -hmm. right. And that is why in Mm -hmm. my programs, right? When I do my should I stay or should I go program, either, you know, the online program or with clients in in person, we start with self. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't start with he's doing, I mean, we do, we talk about all of the stuff that quote, you know, he's doing, but the healing has to start with the self because right. you have to build <clears throat> that self-esteem. So you start to actually recognize Oh, I am worth more than that. Mm, mm-hmm. 
Right. I and love then we that. can talk about all that he's doing for, you know, till the cows come home. But if you are not actually grounded and rooted in yourself, in your sense of capital S self, that has nowhere to go. Right. And, you know, it's interesting for years. Uh, that's been something when I have someone come in who is contemplating. I have not coined the term as as fantastically as you have, but <laughs> I would I would ask my clients, yeah, am I helping you stay or am I helping you leave? Right. Yeah. Because I need to know need to in know. right, in what way do you need me to support you right now? Because learning how to leave and getting that ability to leave, it can look very different. It's there's strategy involved, there's support systems to put in place, it's an action. Right. Whereas if I'm helping you stay right now, I've used that term. I think you and I have chatted about fortifying the self. Yeah, right. Yeah, And making sure I remember helping a survivor leave an abusive relationship by helping her get diagnosed with thyroid disease. That's hmm. where we started. Well, she had yeah. symptoms, right? She had right. symptoms that were just making her feel unhealthy. And we realized that her lack of physical health was impacting her ability to stand up to this abusive relationship. So we had to start there. She had no energy to fight exactly. that. Exactly. To barely function. Exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, I mean, I think that, and you know, a lot of this, we do have not just mental health issues, but we do get physical. Like we've talked about the, you know, there are a lot of people who have autoimmune issues because because of like, we have so much cortisol pumping through us, like stress hormones all the time. It mm -hmm. completely, and you could probably speak to this better than I can. I'm basically <laughs> quoting you. You sound like you're doing great. You go, I don't, just, I'm saying what you said. So <laughs> yeah, right. you talk about it, Amelia. I'm just quoting you. <laughs> According to Dr. Kelly. <laughs> you know, have you, uh, one of my favorite new CPTSD books was What My Bones Know by Stephanie Fu. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it just recently, actually. Yeah. It's amazing. Ooh, Stephanie, if you're okay. out there, I loved it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. And there was a section where she was talking about how trauma directly impacts women mm -hmm. hormonally. Yeah. And studies that have cited that if a trauma occurs during the luteal phase of your cycle, it can actually cause more physical and medical health issues, especially related to the ovaries, such as endometriosis. Really? I know. Yes. Yeah. What a bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. Can you not abuse me right at this moment? <laughs> can you wait a week? Just one week. I'm going to fortify myself for <laughs> the next seven days. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, and so we, it's not just the mental Mm -hmm. um, confusion, it's, it's, it affects us physically. You know, it's, there was, I had posted about it a couple months ago. I had been blatantly gaslit by, um, someone in academia. I had called about a complaint about oh, yeah, one yeah, of my yeah. you clients. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. I remember this. And I remember at that moment when I recognized I was being gaslit and it was, yeah. I was just on the phone with this person. Right. I felt my stomach lurch. Uh-huh. Like uh -huh. I felt sick right. when it was happening. The problem is if someone has been gaslit for a long period of time, and this can start in childhood, your nervous system doesn't know to signal danger as quickly because those neural pathways are are replaced by other pathways that are keeping you safe. Mm, right, so while right. I was able to very quickly feel super sick to my stomach and be like, wow, this person is absolutely gaslighting me. If it had happened all the time, if I was maybe in that work environment permanently and I was always around this person, I don't know if I would have noticed it right away. Right. And that's the danger when we're married mm -hmm. to these people. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you actually, like, if you're in, this is part of why you, it's really difficult to heal from trauma that you're still in mm -hmm. right? because you can't see it as well. But also I think there's a danger in mm -hmm. uh, that healing process. So how do you, what do you do? Like when you, 
feel like something is off. Mm-hmm. Someone's listening to this podcast and going, I think I'm sort of being systematically gaslit. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like my recognition time is not as, or, you know, ability to recognize is maybe not as uh, sort of finely honed, but yet mm-hmm. they want to do something, but they're still in it. Like, how does mm-hmm. that, how, like, wh- this is, I think the conundrum, right? This is, right. this is the catch 22. It is. And I think where things like no contact versus limited contact yeah. play a role. Um, so if if you're hypothesizing someone who's in it and can't get out of it, the first step would be listening to something like this and understanding what is happening. Um, so recognizing if you are chronically experiencing self-doubt or confusion, if you find you're over-apologizing, uh-huh. All the time, uh-huh. um, you're starting to invalidate. You can actually get into a cycle where this is happening so much where you start to naturally almost self gaslight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right? And you Absolutely. you minimize and and trivialize your own feelings as they occur. Right. Yeah, that's why awesome. something something as simple as as journaling is really important because it's you taking what you're fi- thinking and feeling and projecting it back out somewhere. Mhm mhm mhm. So that's number 1 identifying. Number yeah. 2 and this is the limited versus no contact create space in whatever way you can. Right. The less time you are exposed to this, the more likely you too will get that lurch in your stomach when it happens. That's right. You need right. perspective, right? Yes. Like you need that perspective to mm-hmm. for, for it to actually give you that lurch. Right. Yes. And I love that you said perspective because I think that's a big part of the next step of what I would say would be to gather evidence in whatever way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, if it's a work form of gaslighting or medical gaslighting or systemic, I mean, get your evidence, get get those emails together, get get the facts. In in my book, actually, I do have a fact checking tool mm-hmm. that you can use within just your own relationship too. Right. It you are not being um over the top or overly sensitive if you want to start writing down what's happening to you, you're being smart. Right. That's mm-hmm. right. And it's I think that's and I think writing it down too and like, you know, it happens all the time like in my Facebook group, someone will just sort of like spout this whole thing and then be like, "Am I crazy?" and I will say, "Go back and read what you just wrote." Right. Like, read it again and mm-hmm. imagine for some perspective that your daughter mm-hmm. shared this with you, that your best friend yes. wrote this to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like shift yourself out of the seat of the one who's experiencing it and put yourself in the mm-hmm. position of being the one who is receiving this information. And how might you respond differently? What do you know to be true? Mm-hmm. outside Absolutely. of your own experience, right? Ugh, Especially so- if you struggle with self-esteem, you probably also struggle with self-compassion. Oh, And so doing okay. your yeah. your exercise, basically what you were saying, it, it can kind of safely manufacture compassion. Uh-huh, right. Yeah, right? totally, totally, mm-hmm. absolutely. What you were just listing mm-hmm. um, is your sort of, um, action plan, right. For to establishing safety. safety, right. Mm-hmm. So you're going to identify it. You're going to create the space. Mm-hmm. You're going to gather evidence and then you're going to invo- involve a supportive person. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So your therapist, your coach, your HR. Yes. Uh, manager, definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, domestic violence hotline. Yes. Yes, because that's the other thing. The gaslighter, remember, they do not want you to share anything. Right. It it weakens their efforts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So for a narcissist or an abuser or, or, you know, a psychopath, sociopath, somebody, those personalities for whom outward appearance is everything, right? Mm -hmm. They'll do everything right, you know, in front of the door, but behind the door, um, right. they behave very differently. 
and they want to mm-hmm. be liked and they want people to. So the idea that you might be telling people could be very dangerous. They even get highly protective over therapy, over oh. whether or not, right? Or over whether therapy. or not, mm-hmm. right, right. Ugh, I, the, the, the most common thing I notice abusers or gaslighters try to do to my clients is contact me and ask for a couple's session. Yes. Ain't going to happen. Mm-mm. That's right. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Especially let's, singularly. Let's talk one more time on the podcast about why mm-hmm. you, you do not go to couples. Like, first of all, as a, as an individual therapist, you don't see the, you don't bring in the couple, right? Like, no. can, can we please talk about this, Amelia? Because it happens. I see it all the time. Individual sessions as part of couples therapy, if the mandate is couples therapy, individual sessions as a part of that is normal, right? Right. Very normal. Beyond that, take it away, Amelia. When you are in a one-on-one therapy setting, that is a confident space. That is a space for you alone. So it is not intended to bring anyone else in, not only to protect you, the client, but also to protect the other person. Because Mm. rightfully, as humans, we're going to align with the person that we're working with, first Mm -hmm. of all. Mm -hmm. Second of all, it is not a space designated for anyone else other than you. Mm -hmm. And if if you have a, a therapist who is suggesting to shift from individual to couples, I would seriously question their clinical experience. I will, I will throw this out there. There is one caveat. I have had situations where I have an individual client, for instance, that I've worked with. I have one in particular I'm thinking of. We worked with each other for years on a particular issue. And there was something she wanted help telling her husband about. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so my client requested to have her husband present so that I could not so much mediate, but support her Mm -hmm. in sharing this. And it was for the betterment of her individual counseling. Mm -hmm. Right. Not in order to work on them as a couple. That is the only time I would say it is appropriate. And then what about if (laughs) the therapist is seeing both people Oh my gosh, people you guys can't should see, see her face. You guys should see her face right now. If a therapist is seeing both individuals individually in therapy. I don't know how anyone could possibly do that and and keep the not only keep things confidential but have the perspective and the objectivity. How could you possibly be objective? I even am cautious if I have a client who refers a friend to me. Right. I mean, even that can get kind of hairy. I tried to refer a friend to one of my therapists years ago, and my therapist was like, and this was not like a friend that I had, you know, we weren't so intimate that like, and she was like, no, no, right. this is your space. If ever there was an issue between the two of you, you would not want to be in this session thinking about like, well, what's he saying or what is she hearing or what preconceived ideas might she have because she's already heard it from him. Like it's, it makes therapy not a safe space. And I see this, Amelia, I see it all the time, all the time. And you know what? If you consider the topic of gaslighting, let's imagine there's a therapist seeing both people in the couple and one person is a gaslighter and they come in and they're saying false truths. Right. Now the whole therapeutic alliance and dynamic is off. That's right. The only caveat I would say, I mean, I I still don't think this is right, but like there are places where there are, um, you know, rural areas where there aren't a lot of therapists available, but what COVID Mm -hmm. gave us was a lot of people working on zoom. Mm -hmm. And now a lot of therapists do a lot of their practice on zoom. And as long as they are in the same state, they can be in the major city, you know, 600 miles away. So that's not a reason to right? right. Like it's kind of not really a reason anymore. Especially because it's not just online therapy websites. You can actually go directly to something like Psychology Today 
That's put right. in your insurance, put in what state you live, and then just click telehealth, and you will get hooked up with private practices within your state that have therapists that are willing to work with people anywhere within the state. Right, right. So there's mm-hmm. there are a lot of options now that right. we may not have had, you know, uh, a couple of years ago. But there are there's there your therapist needs to be your therapist. Agreed. Yours, yours, yours. Mm -hmm. That means that none of you can hire Amelia, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to say that? She's mine. (laughs) Um, She's actually, you're actually not my therapist because we're not in the same state. Right. Coach, therapist. You're my Mm -hmm. coach. You are my coach. I'm, 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 no, that's not true. You guys can work with her because we're not, we're not friends. (laughs) No. And actually I will say people love what you do and your podcast and this, this, this amazing community that you have created. There are quite a few of your, um, community ladies who I work with and Uh I love it because we get to talk about you know, the things that you're talking about in this community and how it resonates with what they're going through. So it's right. it's really cool. That's so great. I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> Good. All right. Fine. You guys can work with Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> she is the best. <laughs> so let's move quickly into some healing because we didn't, we haven't covered the healing process, <laughs> right? Um, episode so, two. <laughs> episode, yeah. <laughs> this episode was called healing from gaslighting. What the hell? Pat? Where's the healing? <laughs> How do we well, there's heal? a lot to understand. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's true. So how do people begin to heal? Well, once you have that space, even if it's ever so slight, anything you can do within that time to reconnect with yourself, reconnect with the things that you love, remember the things that you love, that if you think about it this way, you know, self-care is going to be the foundation for you to understand when someone is not treating you well. So if you're not treating yourself well, how are you going to know if someone else is not? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so in, you know, the ways that I went through this in the book is that at first I wanted people to really understand what are the traumas they've gone through. So gaining perspective and insight is very important. So you can start reorganizing what happened to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, understanding not just the traumas within that relationship, but maybe some of the ones from your past that might have kind of set the stage for that ick in your stomach not to signal that there was a problem. Right. Yes. And leading with curiosity and compassion. I really want to impress upon people. This is not a time to point your finger at yourself and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right, right. But right, it's a right. time to just be curious and inquisitive and and want to learn about what happened to you as opposed to blame yourself. Mm-hmm. That's really big. I love internal family systems therapy for that. Right. Yes. That's oh, it's it's so great. So yeah. you can kind of dig into that. But um understanding also if you are in a trauma bond, how how to remove yourself from it. Are we talking how to heal when you've gotten out or are we talking how to heal when you're well, still in? Right. So this is the, this is the conundrum. Like, yeah. Can you heal while you're still in? So similar to what we were saying earlier, I think there's a way to enhance your relationship with yourself. I think if you're still in, but you can, gain other relationships outside that relationship. It might look like getting a job. It might look like going and just picking up. I know a hobby sounds trite, but just anything that's yours and yours alone. Yes. Um, And I don't want to minimize how difficult it can be to get a job. I was just kind of throwing that out there because... No, but but it is important, right? Like people who... Mm have maybe been stay-at-home moms who have maybe lost their own identity and their sense of Mm -hmm. self separate from, um, you know, in motherhood, which we all do, by the way, like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to get a job and to start being out among the people, like Mm -hmm. it can be so healing, so Mm -hmm. healing. I have a friend whose wife had been a stay-at-home mom and she didn't have to work. She had family money but she was so 
lost and confused and desperate mm-hmm. in her life. And this had nothing to do with gaslighting. She went and she got a job at like a local clothing store, a little boutique. Mm-hmm. She Like it wasn't anything that was gonna, uh, she wasn't going to, you know, become a, you know, rocket scientist, like, but it gave her a sense of purpose to get up every day and have somewhere to go. And it completely mm-hmm. changed how she experienced the world. Mm. And yeah, I and think you- that, that's a really important lesson, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you think about the idea of purpose, I mean, that's really the kind of the beginning of that whole existential, what am I, why am I here? And think about when you've been gaslit, you're so much more disconnected from all that because their goal was to disconnect you from all that. Right. And so exactly, exactly. One of the one of the trauma cycles or one of the trauma responses that I really do try to make sure people understand and address, though, is codependency. Mm-hmm. So an organization such as Coda.org, I love, love, love. They love, have love, love. lots of resources. They also have online um, and totally anonymous meetings you can go to even if you don't have one in your area. Um So understanding what that looks like and how to start setting more boundaries is very important. Um, Practicing boundaries when you can in little incremental ways. All these little efforts Mm -hmm. bring you closer to being able to heal from gaslighting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, it's all about building up your sense of self, right? Capital Mm -hmm. S self. That the more and for and you know, I think one of the key ingredients of self-esteem is self-knowledge. And mm-hmm. so, right, like when we have sort of been living in a fog for so long, whether it's because we, you know, just sort of lost ourselves in motherhood and hormones and like everything going completely kerfluey, um, or whether we've been gaslit and our reality is being challenged all the time the more that we can ground ourselves in knowing who we are. And sometimes that is, you know, a hobby like, oh, right. I forgot. I like to do this thing and it right. makes me feel good about myself when I do it. Right. And so the building of self-knowledge, the more you know yourself, the more you value yourself. Right. And, you know, sometimes working with uh, trauma survivors, they ask, okay, when are we going to do the trauma work? Like, I want to do the trauma work. And (laughs) while, while they're talking about like really amazing treatments, like brain spotting, EMDR, trauma sensitive viewer, they want to like get into it. I have to sometimes remind them, you know, meditating or journaling or drawing or walking. Like anytime you're doing the opposite of what your abuser would have done to you, Mm -hmm. that's a form of healing and that's a form of trauma work. That's right. And we, and we spoke earlier very, very quickly about compassionate self-talk. That's super important Yes. when overcoming from gaslighting. And so anything you can do to catch negative self-talk in the moment Mm -hmm. and redirect it, actually plug, I just, (laughs) on Mm -hmm. insight timer, I actually just put up a compassionate, um, a self-compassion course. Oh, I didn't so, know you had stuff on Insight Timer. I do. Um, so it's I just posted that course. It's a two. I, I so many. Um, <laughs> it's, but it's a two day course. It's like twenty minutes each. It's very palatable, very easy, and there's some meditations and some writing exercises. So, so that might even be something yeah, that absolutely. a listener could go do. Um, and beyond that, you know, whatever your preferred form of self-care. So for me, it's movement or creativity. Mm-hmm. Doing that thing consistently. Consistency is very important for you when healing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yes. It doesn't have to be two hours a day. <laughs> it could be right. two minutes. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. There's so much more, but y'all, you guys have to get the book, Gaslighting Recovery for Women by Dr. Amelia Kelly. There obviously will be links to it in the show notes. Um, and I want to link to your insight timer as well. That would be really Oh, yes. Cool I'll send that to you. Um, so you guys, this is an amazing book, Gaslighting Recovery for Women. Uh, get it everywhere you get your books. And where can everyone find you, Amelia? Well, on Instagram at Dr. Amelia Kelly, Kelly with an EY, or AmeliaKelly.com, which... 
We're working every day to make it a fun, interactive space where you can actually do meditations and workbook activities and read articles and do all the things in one spot. So, Wow, amazing. I'm excited about that. (gasps) Yay. All right, Amelia, thank you so much. Congratulations on this book. So great. So amazing. (laughs) This book, because she's (laughs) writing so many more. Um, And I just adore you. And I love having you on the podcast and tapping your wisdom. You're the best. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.